Welcome back to the podcast, John and Luke. Last time we dove into some really interesting topics. And one of the things that often I get requested is to go into more detail specific to hypertrophy training. So I thought it'd be great to have you guys both come on and just to like really deep dive into how someone can get the absolute most out of their, their workouts. Yeah. Hey, well, thanks for having us back on. And Luke and I love talking about hypertrophy training, so we can uh, talk for hours and hours, probably just on that topic alone. Um, yeah. Awesome. So, so I've got some questions. Some of them are my own questions, and some of them are ones that people have sent me to ask you guys. Um, right. So we'll just jump straight in with what are the most common mistakes people make in ex exercise selection and execution that possibly hold them back from achieving the maximum results that they could get? Who gets to go first? <laughs> I don't okay. jump on it because there's a, there's a lot that we could hit. Yeah, I'll get off. Um, I'll start with the selection piece. And I'll let you go through the execution piece. Um, I think, and the reason I like to start with selection is I feel like we can't even start to talk about execution until we match the movement pattern to the individual. And I think people don't take the time to go through the prerequisite process in order to pick the right exercise for them. They just see their favorite bodybuilder doing whatever exercise. They think that's the exercise they need for their best quads, best chest, best shoulders. And they don't take the time to actually look at what that analysis process is for them in order to choose the right angle for pressing. What plane is their scapular plane in? What squat pattern is going to allow them to bias quads the most according to how they move? Um, and I think that when we look at the mistakes with an exercise selection, most of the time people are further down the regression pattern than they think. So all the regression pattern means is for a squat, for example, if barbell squats are standard, we're moving ourselves further down the path of externalizing more stability and stabilizing the hips more down that path of, of regression. So typically it's like you can start like barbell and then safety bar, Smith machine, pack squat, and then pendulum is like what I use to kind of show people what that, regression looks like um, because it progressively goes from to more and more externally stabilized and then more and more hip stabilization as you go down that path. Yeah. Yeah. I think no, like, that's a great point. Um, another mistake that I see selection wise is also just choosing movements where you can actually go through the full range of motion of the lift. And uh, sometimes it's not even the, you know, the, issue with the person like not intentionally going through that range they're just picking a movement where just they max out how far they can take that range because it's just not the right exercise for them yeah. like a, a great example is still like a squat um, a lot of times for a barbell squat say you're a taller individual a lot of times their hips will max out before they can get fully into knee flexion and if it's someone that wants to build a lot of quad we know like for hypertrophy training, taking someone through the full range of motion versus partial range of motion has the, the best potential for building muscle. So getting people to select exercise that allows them to get to those full in ranges where it really stretches the muscle, that is a, a big mistake that people can leave a lot of progress on the table. And it gets into like the second mistake too is finding the hardest way to move a weight and going through full range of motion for one, it's going to have a, a safety aspect around it because what happens when you train in partials, the second you get to like really heavy loads and you go just a little bit deeper, 
that's when you have the some tissue that's loaded with that's never been loaded like that before and you could tear something um mm. also with uh, train through the full range of motion, you're going to be able to use a lot less weight to get a lot better stimulus. So there's already like an, an injury aspect that's a little bit protective around that. Um, and then with also getting to those deeper ranges of motion, it just makes it a lot harder. <laughs> so um, if you're a power lifter, you try to find the, the easiest way to lift a weight, right? The most mechanically efficient way to lift but in bodybuilding, it's really the opposite. You're almost trying to find the the hardest way to lift a weight, and in turn, that weight could be pretty light. Is there any like when you're choosing your exercise selection, does it matter? Like, because I've always seen like coming into the gym, probably got to start off with squats first, got to do leg press second, then some isolation movement patterns in and around that. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is that choosing the right exercises? in order to get the best possible result out of the workout? Yeah, I think a lot of it is just understanding where that person can drive the most mechanical tension and then biasing that session to allow them to do that. So like, for example, there's going to be some people with enough lumbar issues where the squat pattern is not their opportunity to exert the most mechanical tension from an internal stimulus standpoint. So um, when we order exercises, a lot of it's going to be kind of coming down to that and people's ability to transfer force into the floor or into the sled or anything along those lines. But it's always going to be about, is the athlete prepared to do what they're ready? They need to do. Can they create the most mechanical tension stimulus within that movement pattern with where it is in the session? And then can they do that throughout a full range of motion? Because we know that if mechanical tension is the primary driver of hypertrophy, we want to be able to take these target tissues to a fully lengthened position. And that fully lengthened position requires them to be prepared to take it to that full in range. So a lot of this far as like session structure and making the most out of it comes from making sure that athlete is prepared to do what they're, they need to do. And then what they need to do are movements that allow them to transfer the most force back into whatever their counter force is, whether that's the floor for a squat or the sled for a leg press or whatever that may be. And is there room for like, if you're doing, like obviously being advocates for doing a full range of motion, is there a place for doing partial motion as long as you have the right exercise pairing so that overall you experience the full range of motion? For instance, like if you did leg extensions and hack squat or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so like if you had to speak like, cause you know, you know, you, a lot of our information goes out in IG. So you have to have like this generality approach that can cover a lot. So it's like in general training a full range of motion, but there is some nuance around that and interesting studies too, where you do have some partials done and actually can outperform the full range. But the caveat there is that usually those partials that are beneficial is where they load in the really stretch position of the muscle, longer muscle lengths. So maybe they're not fully going out to say like if you're doing a tricep extension, they're not fully locking it out. So if you have movement patterns that the joints get stacked, like think of a flat dumbbell press at the very top. The wrist, elbow, and shoulder are all in line. There's pretty much not a lot of loading muscular-wise. So if you're someone to say like, hey, at the very top, usually my triceps is what really starts fatiguing. They're like, well, hey, I'm going to cut off a little bit of that top range and just kind of press out of that stretch bottom position. 
that could be reasonable. You know, we see a lot of bodybuilders like anecdotally have tried to build a chest in, the, in that way. So the other thing around that though, is like, well, is there a, a better movement pattern that could load that full range? And that's when it's like, well, if you have access to say like a converging press movement, like a prime machine or hammer strength, like that, that is a different, like that way you would want to take it all the way up because you get tension all the way. So it just depends on the application really. And that's where it's like, gets more detailed where you need that instruction to understand like, what is, what makes this movement good and what makes it good for me? Is it right for me? Then looking across your exercise um, access that you have in the gym. So this is ex exactly why like Luke and I have, have came out with the applied hypertrophy optimization course, because um, these are the questions. And usually you see a workout on paper. You're like, yeah, this looks great. Like this guy's doing it and he's getting great results, but you don't have the, the rat rationale behind all of it of like, well, why is this exercise first? Why is he picking this one and that machine? And that's where we take through, like through the AHO course to where you're going to be able to like, Access how you move and see what is your need for muscular development and pair that with the right exercise for you. A lot of times it's not, it's not bad exercises, just bad execution and application to the person. So it's, that's where you're trying to really find with AHO and understand why you're picking that exercise and how to program around it. So all these questions that come up, um, you can, you can have that background reasons of all the, all the whys behind why we, why we do what we do. Yeah. Real quick, just to add, I think one of the biggest value adds to within AHO is helping define some of what we've been talking about here, because one that I see taken out of context is the full range of motion comment, right? Because it's full range of motion for the target tissues. It's not full range of motion for the actual joint capsule. So we have to be able to define what the goal of every exercise is so that we can define what full range of motion for that movement looks like. Um, because each exercise in a program is going to have an end goal. And then across that full session, we should cover the, the full spectrum of the range of motion. Right. So I think taking the time to be in the gym and detailed with the way that we filmed it is really where that biggest benefit is because it's really going to lay concrete understanding of what are my limits on every body part for every pattern and what is the goal within that so that you're not just going into a gym session with these exercises listed out and be like okay this is what i'm doing it's like okay this is the goal for exercise one this is the goal for exercise two this is the goal for exercise three you can start to logically sequence them which just starts to bring in some of the extra tools that we we did for aho for helping with like the program designer and all that so um i think that's one of the probably the biggest value adds for sure and that, and when someone's considering their exercise selection, what are some of the like the major key factors from the get go that someone should be considering when they're trying to map out their program and they're trying to plan out which exercises? Is it just purely the ones that they're going to get the most range of motion from, or where they can put that load in, in the greatest capacity for them to get the best results? I mean, number one, it starts with like your own needs assessment. Um, and, and that's what it always has to at least initially start with. Like, what do you as the individual need? And if it's for lower body development, like, is it more quad focus? Is it more hamstring focus um, or upper body? Like, do you need more delt or more tricep? So that initial point of like, okay, this is what this client needs to focus on. 
the next point from there is usually how can this person move? How can they mechanically move? Say they want quads. What is that ability to squat? And if they can't just do a normal squat, like a barbell squat, and we need quad, well, how can we make that squat more quad biased? And so then we start seeing like, okay, this should be the exercise for this client. So they can't get into a barbell back squat to emphasize quads. Maybe they have really long femurs. We need them to doing like a hack squat, or maybe it's a safety bar squat, or they need a heel elevation in their shoe because they don't have a lot of ankle range motion. So those are some of the first considerations around it. So what's what's the, the need and the goal for that individual? How can they move? Then how do we pair the right exercise for that person within those constraints? Yeah, and I think the last piece of that too is combining that portion with how much force they can apply back into the application. Because like I, I'll use a squat, Dagon Mark, you've got the squat in my brain from that yeah. <laughs> work camera conversation. Um, the squat is a, a prime example, like for me. So like a barbell back squat versus a safety bar. If I have heel elevation with both, I can take both to their end range. The problem with the barbell versus the safety bar is that barbell tilts me forward enough to actually take the pressure out of my midfoot. And so it kind of starts to push it into that forward portion of my foot. And so I can't actually exert maximum amount of force back to the floor because it's not keeping me in a stable foot position to do that. Where with a safety bar, because I can stay a little bit more vertical, I can actually keep that pressure in my midfoot and exert all of my force back into that floor. So when we look at the positions like from a side view, both are, are fairly quad dominant with that heel elevation. That's my crutch that I need. But when we look at the actual foot pressure in regards to what I'm experiencing and being able to push back into that floor, that safety bar is a lot more effective and efficient because I can drive more overall tension through the force component of the mechanical engine as well. How would you suggest that somebody could determine the best exercise for themselves? Like, it, is it a case of like, so if I go to the gym after going through the course and I'm like, right, I want to like bring up my quads, then is it best for me just to set up a camera and to look at kind of compare what you guys have done on the course with how I'm squatting and then try and figure out what is the best way for me to push forward from there? Yeah. Mark, you already gave us like a great takeaway for people <laughs> <So> <laughs> video, video review. And I think for one, I think this is a bit, of the it's not, I don't want to call it the lost art of coaching because it it used to be all in person right for coaching and now you have a landscape that is all online coaching based so you have a lot of people giving out just you know word document excel document programs everything's perfectly programmed on paper but i i see a lot of online coaches that aren't doing video review for their clients and for one from a, from a coaching aspect like this is what you can take away from, from HO is seeing the video review to know what are the red flags that pop up when someone does that, does that exercise and then how to cue it to correct it or just move them to an improved exercise. So if you never see your client do it, you really won't know if that even is the right exercise for them. So that's a bit lost and it needs to get back to in the gym. And I think there's a huge value for early on coaches to actually train people in the gym. Uh, if you don't have that that experience, it is hard to do it online, but at the minimum, you need to do some video review. Now, 
if you are self-coaching and just training, because a lot of people aren't going to be hired, hiring coaches, that's perfectly fine. But absolutely doing your own video review. And now there's like no judgment, right? Like everyone has a tripod and filming themselves. So um, in powerlifting, this wasn't a big deal at all. Like you'd always do video review on your lifts. But for bodybuilding too, like to see how that compares to what we're showing you in the model would be a, you know, a great way to go about it. So just having some, some video feedback. Um, also, like in J3U, like we have the forums where we have people that do post up videos and we have Luke, Luke and myself and also other members too that can help like guide some of that decision process if you're still trying to, to learn it a little bit more. Yeah, would you say there's a secondary component of like the subjective internal stimulus of that? Because I, I do base some of my decision making across someone's ability to drive tension to target tissues and feel it, right? Like maybe not top set of seven to eight reps on a squat, but the majority of their sets should, we should feel those, leave those sets feeling pump and target tissues and not have extraneous force going elsewhere. So like it's the video review combined with that subjective feeling, which to, to point out kind of like the problem you see with all like online coaching is there's no video review. And then secondarily, there's, there's not metrics to ask questions around how are the pumps are you getting pumps in the target body part, especially for body parts that are uh, weaker body parts for athletes. It's not what we completely operate off of, but it is a great subjective metric to help point you in the right direction. I think on, on that same point too, it depends on the experience level of your client too. Yeah, that's true. Like how, how much we can weigh into that feedback. Like, yeah, I completely agree. Like you, there should be something happening, you know, in that muscle group, uh, whether it's pump or the next day, maybe you feel a little bit of soreness. Um, but in like the earlier on client, like for one, it's, they might not have the experience to give the right feedback, but also we're usually picking lifts that are more like systemically challenge them. Um, and so they might not feel completely taxed everywhere, but if you set them up in the right pattern, it can make it pretty hard for a quad not to work. Right. Like yeah. you have like a, 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 on paper, like a squat that should be pretty quad biased. And they're like, my quads aren't working at all. Like that's physically impossible. So it's one of those things where hey, you, you're going to put them in the best pattern, but then over time we work on building that, that feedback and that yeah. self-awareness to then give that. And then once you're advanced, that's when I think there's even, even more application to like mind muscle connection and what you're feeling distortion and pump wise. And I guess on some level you can almost, ditch the logbook while you're trying to figure this out, right? Because I, especially if you're not having video reviews or video feedback, just like my, um, for me personally, my, seeing how well I'm progressing has always been a logbook-based thing. So logbook's going up like 2.5 kilos, whatever it is. And so therefore I'm thinking, yeah, I'm getting good at squats. Like this is working for me. Whereas in actual fact, I'm, I know I'm not doing a good job because I don't feel it in my legs. But because my logbook is going up, I'm like, yeah, I must be nailing the squat. So there must, there's got to be an element where you kind of throw that out the window and just go back to basics of filming yourself, going through it, like learning how to do that movement properly. Yeah, I have people who struggle with maintenance of form across a block. Like the, the basically the system I operate off of is like week one and two are, are kind of setting the standard. So staying, setting the standard of execution with week one, 
We too is maintenance of that sta execution standard alongside setting the logbook. And they can kind of get into it with week three. And then every sixth or eight week, making sure that video form is, is making sure that we're keeping that where it needs to be. And then for body parts that are weaker body parts, it's more frequent. It's like an every other week thing. So frequency at which you check it should be according to how much you struggle with that body part, in my opinion. So like the earlier client who's a newer gym goer is going to have to check it more frequently. The higher level, more experienced athlete, probably not going to have to check it once they set that standard quite as often. Um, but I do think that that's potentially the population that overlooks it the most because they feel like they're experienced and they do kind of just walk in the gym with that, like, oh, I know what I'm doing. And then the weak body part stays a weak body part because they're never checking it or never going over video review that's going to allow them to push in the right direction. It's a, it's a balancing both, right, to go yeah. – and again, it depends on your level of the client you're coaching, like for a lifestyle client for hypertrophy, like o overly tracking it could, for, it could be discouraging or it could be, you lose adherence based on it. Um, like Luke and myself, like we coach primarily only competitors. So tracking at this point is, is something that needs to take place, but it, it's both right. Like the logbook has value because over time, if you are building muscle, like you should see load and reps increasing relatively to maintaining that standard of form that we set off the front end. However, if we do see that slipping and we need to reset form, it's okay for load to reps go down. That also doesn't mean that you're getting less stimulus. I think that's where like we've had the, you know, chasing the logbook and, and if it's not going up, you're not getting better stimulus and that's just not the case. So, a lot of times we're using the logbook more of this diagnostic tool for how we're programming if we have enough volume or if someone's recovering enough. Then also just realizing too, like along the way, like if we need a reset form, that's going to be a, the the better option versus just being stubborn and trying to make sure we drive up load and reps, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. And you mentioned, you did touch on previously as well, just about the mind-muscle connection. Like how important is that in for a season athletes or people that are just starting out like how important is it to have that internal thought process and mind muscle connection and actually performing and executing the exercises yeah and you know it's it's a thing like with uh with like could be with like a tracking but it it just in increases in importance as you get more advanced um because usually what you find is the body parts and the most common thing that comes across at least my table is like, Hey, X muscle group is not improving or I'm getting injured with doing this. Like those are the two, but the, the one, the, the former, the weak body parts, usually those same body parts are ones that like, they never get a pump in. They, they're not usually hard to get soreness in, but usually it's something else that's taking the brunt of the work. So, and then what, what you find is having to go back to reestablish this connection to where they can actually, even if they're in a, like a great pattern to press, they're just already so programmed for maybe previous experiences training to use other muscle groups more dominantly. Um, so to set them up to where they can actually establish some connection, that is, is a lot of value for like someone that gets more advanced. So our, your previous thing that you brought up, Mark, was, you know, exercise order. And that's when starting with the movement that could train the muscle really short and help. You, you can really feel a good contraction when you load something in the, the short phase when it's 
you know, close to full contraction, say like a pec fly, right? Um, we could set that up on a cable to where it gets really, really hard, right? As their hands are getting together and you can really feel, oh, wow, I can really feel a bicep contraction. You could do it at some higher rep ranges to where you make sure you get someone that has a pump. Then from there, you can move to their pressing which can make them really feel it out of that stretch position, which for some people can be hard in a press. So that could be a, a, an application of how you might have that to where you can develop more of that mind-muscle connection, especially when you're seeing it on weak body parts. But for the earlier on beginner, yeah, I would say this isn't quite as important of what I would put emphasis on. It's more like just learning correct, correct movements and execution. Um, and then making sure if for hypertrophy is the goal, making them the biggest individual possible. So usually that's doing like your big uh, bang for the buck movements, right? And not getting so hyper-focused on these uh, these isolation movements. And those kind of come in as you get more advanced. And would that give you like a, um, a place for activations, warm-ups, those types of things? Is there a place for them in the beginning then before you go on to like do some of the bigger lifts that's where i said like the session structure should be athlete preparedness and then what they can do the most is like right. that's exactly what we're doing on that forefront of that session so so for athletes who have injury profiles there's going to be more prep work to get them prepared in order to allow them to do the movements that they need to do to drive the stimulus or for people who struggle connecting with the body part, there's going to be more activation work done on that forefront of the session so that they can get the most out of their pressing or their squatting or whatever that may be. So there's absolutely, that's where we're doing that. And with the goal of hypertrophy, it, the, the two that we need to consider is the ability to drive tension to the target tissue and the ability to output force. And so whether that's addressing movement incapacity in order to allow them to move better within that movement to drive it towards the target tissue or it's an inability to drive tension from like a mental connection standpoint that's where activations start to come in and so a lot of this is built where that whole beginning portion of the session is athlete preparedness in order to do those things do you think that's a common thing that people skip over oh yeah absolutely yeah I mean, John and I did for years, like, <laughs> I mean, we would do like a little, little foam roll thingy, but like, that'd be about it. Right. Like, yeah. When you're in a rush and like you're low on time, like, what are you going to skip out on You're like <laughs> mobility, like warm up work or your actual like exercises? Like, yeah, you're going to skip your mobility, like a prep, you know, prep work, um, and jump into it. So uh, yeah, most people aren't because most a lot of people just don't have time, right? Because yeah. that could be a two-hour in the gym session with your prep work and your actual training for some people. Uh, so it uh, it is overlooked, but it's it's about being efficient too. Like um, you you can really you don't need you shouldn't need a thirty-minute session of prep work before your training. Like it should be something like you could probably do in in ten minutes, honestly, yeah. for for some of this stuff. One thing I'll do is I'll integrate it in the warm up for the first movement. It's like, let's say you're taking like three feeler sets before you do your top set. Um, like you do one movement that's like preparedness based, and then you do your first warm up, and then you do your second preparedness, and then you do your second warm up, and do kind of like a zigzag to kind of help with the time efficiency. That way they can take their rest period before they do their top set, fully, fully prepared. And then that kind of gives them an idea of how much that movement cramp is translating to their ability to move as well, because it, 
kind of giving you direct feedback as well. And it, it's still like it's needs based, right? So yeah, so not everybody needs like this extensive. No, some people just go train. Like, how should I prepare for my squat? Go squat. Like people can squat just fine. Like until you have issues like, Hey, I have issues with ankle mobility or, um, my hip bone internally rotate. I can't get to depth. Like then these are things to start addressing with maybe some prep work needs to happen. But the best way to prepare for a lift is not going and doing like a completely different lift. It's doing the actual lift. So, um, some people are getting a, a little too overcomplicated with the prep work. Like it's still the best way to, to prep for a lift is to do, yeah, do the actual lift, you know. And I know with the applied hypertrophy optimization course, there's a couple of very comprehensive ebooks that come with it. Can you take us through, like, what are each of those ebooks and what do they include? Luke, Kate off because that you put a lot of time into the, yeah, the program yeah. designer. So I think, I think the question that I asked in building these is how do I give the individuals something to walk away with that's a reference material that allows them to use it for a long period of time. And so the first one is the program designer, which uh, I kind of put together with the goal of giving you guys a multitude of variations of split designs to fit different types of schedules, different body part needs. I basically break it down into needing to prioritize every single body part and kind of what that would look like and then write splits that go alongside that. And then all of the sessions for every split are with that as well. So it's literally just a plug and play. So all you guys have to do is go in and say, look, I can do a three-on-one off rotation with my schedule. Cool, I click that. And then my body part weakness is I need more chest. And so you go down to that section and then you just look at that split and the sessions will be there. You just plug them straight in. And I think that's like the one for me that I was like, I really need to, to make sure that these people can walk away, not only knowing exactly what to do in the gym, but how to put it together on paper so that they can have something to go use in the gym, which is kind of the whole goal, right? Is to take this information and go use it in the gym. And then John, I know like I'll let you dive into the second one, which is kind of taking AHO's information material that you're seeing in the videos and giving you kind of like a, a reference tab or a reference sheet in order to be able to kind of back transfer in the gym without having to like pull up the video and go to the timestamp and, and do all that. Yeah. That was the value. Like the, the exercise index PDF is it's a supplement to the video coursework. So uh, a lot of times you, yeah, to, to pull up the, the reference on the muscle group or an exercise to see, you know, where this muscle, where this exercise applies, what's going to, what is going to bias? What are the pros and cons around that exercise? Um, what are cues that you need to have reminders about it? What issues are going to see crop up and how would you troubleshoot those issues? So we created just a, a quick look into those things as more of like a, a reminders for what you're learning in the videos. Of course, you're like need more information go then you dive into the video right so it's just uh more supporting material to help the course be more efficient so um you can apply it to yourself and your coat in your coaching program and i can tell you i've been using the program designer because i like being super busy and stuff i was just like right i this is my goal this is what i want to do bang got that and then just like you said there's and i know i've been through it there's like six hours of video of going through everything so having <laughs> Having the exercise index there is just like my Bible of this is what I need to do. Um, 
and I think you undersold it. It's like 120 pages long. Yeah, so it's, it's <laughs> yeah, like it's, it is extensive. Um, yeah, uh, there's a lot in there. So overall, with this, everything you developed and the reasons why you developed and put it together, mm-hmm. what would you say is the main thing that set this sets this apart from like me just going and finding the information somewhere else? Yeah, well, I think a couple things. Um, for one, specificity for physique athletes, because there's a lot of hypertrophy. Um, there's there's other courses. There's um, course programs you can go purchase. Uh, a lot of those might be generalized, but like for at least for our niche, and I'm not trying to, you know, niche us down, but really that's what we are. Like if you are a competitor across any gender or division, like this is where we get hyper-focused for, for you. So yeah. just knowing like coming to us and if that's your goal, that's what we like really cater to. Also, there's, we're in like the information age really where uh, everyone can give out hypertrophy information and a lot of stuff could be regurgitated and now it's kind of hard to know who to trust. Let's say when you're, you're looking for someone that you're trying to get education from, yes, they need some type of like background and and education work but also they need to have had experience within themselves but also like with results and that's where like luke and i really focus on is a education course that's result driven through coaching experience so this is stuff that we actually use with physique athletes from beginners but all the way up to the olympia level so you know again it's niching down a little bit and Another thing is building a community, which you can go get a program and use it. But with this, you're joining the J3U community, which is a community of athletes and coaches that are, are like-minded, just try to elevate the physique industry and make the most out of all of our program design, our nutrition, and you know every aspect around bodybuilding because uh, we only have so many years to see our, our peak progress in our physiques before we just get too old. So you don't want to waste those years. And, and that's where you want to be as efficient as possible. So joining with, within AHO is you're, you're going to have a full community of people like-minded trying to improve themselves just like you are. That's awesome. That's my next question was going to be, what is the single most important message you wanted people to take away from this? But I think you covered it nicely there. Like that was a real good like roundup for it. Yeah, you know, I think um, I, another point takeaway this is um, no other variable really matters if you don't have training right. If you if you think yeah. about them, like sleep, nutrition, you can take all the PDs you want. But if you didn't train, like you're not going to grow. Maybe a little bit with PDs, but besides, <laughs> but, but pretty much, right? Like if uh, without that training stimulus, like there's not going to be muscle growth. All the other stuff supports like fueling training, recovering from training. Um, so training absolutely is the single most important variable. So it's it's not just the right plan, but the right execution of that plan as well. And that's why I also think coaches need to get back to the roots of footage review that builds competency and furthers that, that result for those clients. So as you know, and if you're an athlete as athletes, don't leave progress on the table, take that's just taking the slow track to progress your physique. So, you know, every set rep, how you're executing it, like over time and years, that's going to add up to huge amount of progress. But if you're doing all those sets and reps incorrectly, again, you're on the slow track. No one wants to be on the slow track. 
Great. Amazing. And really, it's perfect. <clears throat> cool. Thank you so much, guys. It's been a pleasure. And I will, of course, invite you back whenever you have the time um, because the information you give is incredible. And I just love hearing it and being able to share this with everyone. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, Mark. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Yeah, we love it.